Do you ever find yourself yearning to look beyond the obvious and dreaming about what's possible in your next chapter? Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host. Welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm your host, Jeanette Blissett. And today's guest is Anne Poirier. Anne is the Certified Intuitive Eating Counselor and Body Confidence Coach, Self-Talk Trainer, Eating Disorder Specialist, and Author. We have so much to talk about today. Talk a little bit more about that. She also was the founder of Shaping Perspectives, A Woman's Way to Joy, and the leader of the Body Joyful Revolution community on Facebook, the online source of support, encouragement, and inspiration for women of all sizes, shapes, and weights. This group of women are committed to rejecting society's thin ideal and diet culture so they can feel more comfortable and confident in their bodies. And welcome to the Next Chapter Experience. I'm looking forward to this conversation, so let's dig in. That sounds great. Thank you for having me, Jeanette. Well, you've had quite the journey over many years of self-discovery, I would say, and uh, making the connection to body, mind, spirit, joy, and the whole path. So let's go ahead and open that up a little bit. What got you started on this journey? It was actually a lifetime negative self-talk, self-beating myself up on and off diets, starting at 12 years old with anorexia nervosa. I ended up going on my first diet and got really sick and ended up in a hospital for a little while back in the 70s when no one really knew much about eating disorders. So I thank goodness for my mom. She really persevered and found me help. And got me better enough to be able to go to school and live a quote unquote semi-normal life. The interesting thing is that there was a thread all the way through of disordered thinking and around weight and around food and eating. So it came back into my life during stressful times of eating disorder behavior and some really negative, harsh self-talk that prohibited me from doing a lot of things. I just wouldn't do and step out and do things because I was too ashamed of myself or my body. And it really wasn't until I got into my fifties, early fifties. And I said, this just isn't feasible anymore. I was tired. My body was tired and my body was breaking down. And one thing that happened was I went in for some knee surgery. I was actually going to have some surgery done so that I could continue to pound on my body. And when they said I couldn't, he's like, your knee is too bad. We're not going to be able to do this surgery. I realized that I had really caused myself damage, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And that's when I really started to reflect and journal and reach out and ask for help. And I found a completely different way. There had to be a different way. It was part of my journey. There had to be another way to live this life without always trying to fix yourself, quote unquote. That's pretty profound. And I was reading in your book, some of the indications along the way that you make a reference to the red truck seed that's planted and all those little seeds that are planted along the way reminded me of games that we used to play when we were younger, where we would say, okay, every time we see a blue car, let's shout out blue car. And all of a sudden, all we would see would be blue cars. And with those seeds that were planted way back when, and they're actually fertilized along the way. And at the age of 50, you have this reckoning with all of those things. How did you cope with that? I had a great therapist. And I reached out for help and I asked for help because I knew I needed somebody to help me on this journey. So I reached out to a therapist. I was on a little bit of medication and I did a lot of journaling and ended up at my alma mater because they had a graduate program in eating disorders. And that's 
where I learned all this other information that no one had told me about why dieting doesn't necessarily work. I was so angry with diet culture and so angry to have spent so much of my life in that place of always failing over and over again. And I think that's what happens to women when they try to lose weight and they may lose it and then it comes back, right? Mm -hmm. Or And then they think it's them and they've failed, but that's not what's really happening. And so, and I got so angry, I said, I'm going to share this message and I'm going to tell people about it. And our younger generation isn't thrown into this same culture where you have to be a certain size in order to be accepted or happy. A quagmire right now because of the social media platforms and they somewhat spoon feed us into believing that looking a certain way and doing certain things, eating certain foods, following certain routines is going to be the holy grail, the magic pill. And mm. we are bombarded with almost false facts about how to maintain a certain aesthetic. So if you're after the Instagram model workout and, and images of everyday people, not just celebrities, everyday people who are just pounding away. And then we have celebrities that are touting products that are going to mix with your coffee or mix with hot water. And it's supposed to be the answer, the magic powder, potion and pill, that type of thing. And it's hard. There's so many messages that are being sent and received that can be very confusing for a lot of people. I find myself confused sometimes as I read and take note of all of the information. It's hard to figure out what's true, what truly is going to benefit you from a health standpoint. Correct. Thank you for bringing that up because there's so many things out there. I use this analogy when I think about going on a diet, quote unquote, a diet, right? Because we have to use the word. So what we eat is our diet, but if we're solely looking for an external outcome and removing foods, going on a plan that is removing certain foods in order to have this outcome, the brain wants to go off. Once we start on something, it's automatically on or I'm off. And so the brain gets a little disconnected with trying to follow a particular plan as well, because all of a sudden we can't keep something that's sustainable because we're on and we're, our brain starts to think about all the foods we can't eat or shouldn't eat or aren't allowed. And then that kind of takes over both physiologically and cognitively to be searching for those foods that we have restricted from our diet and told we will never eat those again. That's that last supper eating. It's a fine line. I have to say it's a fine line because most of the listeners know that I am a big believer that there are certain foods that are better for you than other foods. However, you have to always be in discovery of what works for you, what foods actually give you the opportunity to have more wellness based on your body chemistry. But that's a completely different perspective, I think, than what you're talking about. Yeah, it's more, and that's really what we're doing, though, when it comes to intuitive eating. As an intuitive eating counselor, we're really touching base on what does your body feel like with particular foods, right? What gives you energy? What feels good in your body? Let's talk a little bit more about the intuitive eating. I recall a section in your book when you shared this scenario where you got home early from school or from work and you were really hungry and you knew your, your family would be coming home a little later. You had a lot of time to think about what am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? And you found this brownie mix and made the brownies. <laughs> yeah, I had been restricting so greatly. That was a returning 
switch on the opposite side of restriction to binging, right? And, and not knowing when to stop and not having any control, really. And all of a sudden, there's a, almost a blackout. I share that and I know that I'm not alone because the people that I've worked with have had that too. All of a sudden, you've got empty bags or an empty box. And how did that happen? Yeah, I had a scenario where I took a baking class online and we actually baked lemon pound cakes by scratch. And I made this really dense lemon pound cake. And after the cake was baked, put it on a platter. And I thought, can I wait until tomorrow to have a slice? And I said, nope, I have it right now. So I had a slice of lemon pound cake and it was really good. I said, okay, Jeanette, tomorrow is another day. So I get up in the morning, make my coffee. And I said, you know what goes really great with coffee? Lemon pound cake. So I had another slice and I said, Jeanette, this is not going to work. You are going to have to either freeze this or throw it away. I literally put it in the garbage, took a picture of the crumbled cake in the garbage and sent it to my sister. And I said, I just want you to know this is the before and this is the after and it's in the trash. And it all depends too on your history. What's the history of your relationship with food? With intuitive eating, we try to open up all foods as not good or bad. We take the labels off of them and we really try to make sure that we're nurturing our body, but we're also allowing other foods that haven't been allowed in our diet for 50 years or whatnot. And it's very scary for people in the beginning because of the worry of self-control. We talk through a lot of those moments. That's a scary situation when you don't think you can control your, yourself with a particular food. I call myself an equal opportunity eater. I like that. And really trying to gain control over that relationship with food so that I can still eat responsibly. As it relates to body image, can you touch on that topic? Sure. I think that when we go on a diet to change our body, it's because there's something we don't like about our body usually. And so looking in a mirror or putting on weight or just the aging process and things that start to shift in our bodies, how do we develop a friendship. It's interesting that I'm having this relationship conversation, right though, but our friendship with our body rather than a hatred of our body. There's a stat, 97% of women have an, I hate my body part, or I hate my body moment every single day. They look at something, they see something and they don't like something about themselves. Might be a fleeting thought, or it might take up 90% of their day. And that's all they're thinking about. So that's when we have those kind of negative thoughts around ourselves. we don't treat ourselves very well. And we're always searching for ways to try to fix ourselves. And the go-to is to find the next pill, the next diet plan that's going to work. And everything will be okay if I just lose this weight then I'll be happy, then I'll be successful, then I'll be able to wear those clothes, then I'll be, I call it the when I, then I game, right? With our bodies and how we feel in our bodies and present to the world in our bodies and changing that relationship from self-loathing to self-acceptance. And it's really body loathing to body acceptance and learning to accept myself. So in that, is there a defining moment when you accept your body, but you also are concerned about your health and wellness? Yes. I think about our bodies 
and step away from the body itself as a physical entity and think about what are health behaviors? What do we want to be able to do in our bodies? How do we want to live in our bodies? And that includes food, it includes movement, it includes our own self-care, all of those things. And so I push aside body image, I push aside even food, and we say, let's work on health behaviors. And what are those health behaviors for you? I allow my clients to define their own healthy, to see what is healthy for them. And most of the time, people want to be able to move. They want to be able to do certain things. They want to be able to feel good. They want to have energy. So those all take water and fueling our bodies and moving our bodies and taking care of ourselves. So for me, I use the term body neutrality. And I know that's an interesting word right now. There's a lot of people talking about it. And with body neutrality, I use a continuum. On one side of the continuums, body hatred, disgust, self-loathing, that kind of a space. And then on the other side is body love. And if you're in a place where body love seems unfathomable, like I'll never love my body. I will never be able to love my body. So moving up this continuum to this space of body neutrality, where we look at our body, what it does for us, its function. This is the vehicle that I get to experience my life in. We only have one. This is it. And so we can start with that and then slowly move our way up that continuum towards body acceptance, body positivity, body respect, whatever word. People like different words for how they see themselves. That's a beautiful concept uh, to embrace. I think it's a gentle way of moving through that continuum. Yes. Body neutrality is a quieting resting place of the chaos of our brains, like our own self-talk and society, like you said, society and everything that's around us that seeks to let us know that we should look a certain way or be a certain way. So all of the beauty industry, the diet industry, all of that billion, billions of dollars spent every year and being neutral about our bodies. We're just seeing our bodies differently and quieting the brain from all of that noise. Yeah, that monkey chatter can <laughs> bring you down. And that's such a positive way of looking at this whole you know, reality that we face. However, sometimes I'm concerned if or when certain women do accept their reality of their bodies, but sometimes it's not a constructive acceptance is an acceptance to continue to do what they've always done and be okay with the outcome. In other words, I'm heavier than I'd like to be, but this is me. So I'm just going to continue to do what I'm doing and enjoy my life. I'm a big girl and this is just who I am. When I read a little bit of the work that you do, the thought that came to my mind, and I'll be really honest with you on this, is that's positive, but I wonder if there's a danger in accepting the reality, but not accepting the responsibility to put yourself on the wellness path. Some of the advocates, the fat advocates, that's what they call themselves, have very strong beliefs that this is who I am and health is an option for me. I don't necessarily agree with that. What I do agree with is that all bodies are different sizes and shapes. We all know people in larger bodies who are healthy and people who are in smaller bodies that are healthy and the opposite, right? So we know people that are in really small bodies that aren't healthy at all. So it's really going underneath 
and looking at what behaviors. I come back to those behaviors and I step away from the physical because um, numbers don't lie. So we take a look at those numbers and how we want to work with the numbers that are not helpful for us. I do know that there are people with larger bodies that are very healthy. When I think our society has said, how can they be? And with that said, think about the brain's piece of all of this and the stress that some people put on themselves to try to be a weight that's not healthy for them. So it's all about trying to really fine tune your own health and realizing that it might not be the size that you always wanted to be. And also though, are we engaging in behaviors that are helpful for us? Are we treating our bodies with kindness and compassion, both physically and emotionally and spiritually, like all of those things. So I think there's a fine line and I agree with you. There are some people that are on one side of the fence or on the other side of the fence. I really can appreciate that. And I appreciate your clarity because from the premise that we should be in a detective of our own bodies and not only the physical body, but everything else that goes along with supporting that body. So you have the science behind it the health factors, because we know the three amigos, they're out to get you. And those are the three readings that if I was in a position where I was concerned about my health, I'd be looking at the three amigos, my Mm -hmm. cholesterol, high blood pressure, and diabetes. And then you put stress on top of all of that. And we know what's going to happen. Yeah, I know. I think that's, that's well said. Let's look at the, the health factors that are outside of weight and BMI. Because those aren't indicators of health. Weight and BMI are not indicators of health, but some of these other things are. And so let's look at those and how do we want to approach those. And stress, you brought up stress. And I think that people don't realize how much that impacts our health, just the stress. And I think about both internal and external stressors, like the ones that are uncontrollable, that just are, nothing you can do about them. And then there's other ones that we place on ourselves, whether it's on either side of the eating piece, too much food or too little food, too much exercise, too little exercise. Those are things that can put internal stress on our body and they dysregulate our body's function. So it's it's always looking for homeostasis. It's always trying to find its way back to its normal. And it has a really hard time if there's too much or too little of something within the body, especially when it comes to food and eating. And then I also think about worry, right? Worry and anxiety and all of the internal negative self-talk or comparison or judgment or criticism, all of those things are increase our internal stress too. You have the news stress, you have the talking head stress, you have the political stress, you have the money stress, the job stress, the family stress, the relationship stress. It's a heck of a lot of stress. I know. People have chronic stress overload right now. And it's really important that we learn to take moments where we can find, I call them parasympathetic pockets, right? The parasympathetic nervous system is our rest and digest, our rest and relax. It's our system that we want to try to tap into. And Yet it's very difficult in today's society. So how can we find and be consciously aware of looking for and creating for ourselves little pockets of breath, whether it's movement or nature or music or dancing or drawing or whatever people find themselves with some relaxation and some calmness and some peace. That's very difficult for a lot of people. I I imagine that it has a lot to do with your reality how you live or your lifestyle. Some people are really intentional about how they embrace their day, how they begin the day and how they take those moments in time. And then taking that breath, work, 
seriously, taking a pause to check in with myself to see if I am actually breathing the way I should breathe. It can be important. So uh, it begins, I believe, with intentionality Mm -hmm. and awareness. I decided to make a shift and embrace getting much more movement in during the day, especially the days that I am working on my projects. So now I'm able to get movement in and get a lot of things done throughout the day. So my Fitbit is set to give me reminders between the hours of 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. 10 or 15 minutes before every hour, it reminds me that I need to get up and I need to move around, walk around, and see what I can do to get active. So now I leverage the reminders. If I'm sitting down working on my computer or I'm sitting down reading a book or magazine and it's been longer than an hour, then I get myself up and get moving. Why 250 steps? Well, Fitbit has concluded that 250 steps roughly equals a few minutes of walking. Moving regularly breaks up sedentary time and can help improve your well-being. So I embrace that. And what I've discovered is that by getting up every hour, moving around, since I work from home, I can get a lot of things done. I can prepare, say, lunch or get dinner started or I can do some testing, or I can get the laundry started and get the laundry done that day. And when I reflect on my day, I notice that I've gotten so much done beyond just my projects. I've accomplished other things unrelated to work, and that makes me feel good. Yes, awareness is always a success. Awareness of something that you want to continue to do more of or something that you don't want to continue to do. So either way, and I love you sharing that getting up every hour and just picking something up or whatever it might be, it allows the blood flow to go for your brain. It really does focus us more on the attention that we we're placed on whatever it is that we're doing, allowing that space and time, and then taking a few deep breaths. Oh, breath is so easy. It's free. We can do it anytime we want, but it's so hard to do in the moments we need it most. And thanks so much for your time today. And thank you for sharing your experience and knowledge. The information on intuitive eating, as well as body image and self-acceptance has been eye-opening. And I'm looking forward to continuing my reading of The Body Joyful, your journey from self-loathing to self-acceptance. I appreciate your time today and look forward to continuing our conversation in part two of the next episode. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jeanette. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Chapter Experience. If you have already subscribed, rated, and left a review, or shared this podcast with a friend, many, many thanks. For questions, comments, or feedback, reach out to me at Jeanette Lissett at nextchapterexperience.com. We'll be back with more conversations, so until then, keep that fire burning.